0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew Signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month For the Shetland and Orkney Connection Produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society
1: And broadcast on Plains FM 96.9 Either directly in Canterbury
0: or streaming live globally on broadband Or available for three months after the broadcast Via podcast on the website nz.
1: Welcome everybody to the May edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month, and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. And I must apologise for not giving my email address at the end of last month's programme. They say the biggest lie you tell yourself is that you will remember something. I will write it down this time and will give it out at the end of the programme. I'm Heather Craw and today I just have Helen Baker with me. And did you sit up and watch the King's coronation, Helen?
0: Yes, a good portion of it, but I uh, had to see the highlights uh, the next day. It was yes, just I'm, a bit too late for yeah, me. Yeah,
1: I'm afraid I recorded it and watched it the next day
0: as well. Yeah.
1: Right, now some snippets from the newspapers. Mm-hmm.
0: A patriotic postmistress had decorations galore in Britain's most northerly post office for the coronation of King Charles III. Valerie Johnson decorated the Bolter Sound branch in Shetland with bunting and flags and pictures of the former Prince Charles. Valerie, who has been postmistress for 25 years and always lived in Unst, also decorated the branch last year for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. People liked it when she put up decorations for the Queen's special Platinum Jubilee and she also wanted to mark the King's historic coronation. She said, the king really cares about the environment and loves the outdoors, and that matters to the people of Unst and Shetland. She added there had been a lot of interest from customers for the 50p coins and the stamps bearing the king's head. Mm, I wonder how long it'll take before we get um, yes. notes and coins with the king's head oh, on. I think there are some stamps already being put oh, out. Oh, quite possibly, yes. yeah. That's probably the easiest thing mm. to do, isn't it? Yeah. Mm.
1: A newly formed group, Shetland-Peatland Partnership, and that's quite tricky to say too, um, has been made up by a group of stakeholders who have expressed an interest in being involved in peat restoration. The partnership will produce their peatland strategy for Shetland by the end of 2030, with a clear implementation plan set out thereafter. By 2030, their vision is to see the community of Shetland protecting existing high-quality peatland and helping degraded peatlands to recover and return to being thriving wetlands. Members included the RSPB, Nature Scott, Scottish Water, SEPA, HIE, SIC, National Trust of Scotland, Scottish Agricultural College, Shetland Amenity Trust and Crofting Commissions. So they've got a fair few there. But it's interesting too. um, I spent a day on the peat, up on the peat hill, uh, cutting peat with my cousin in Orkney, and I asked her husband, you know, how long it would take to regenerate, and he said 22,000 years. So
0: (laughs) they've got a long way to go. (laughs) People in Stromness are being invited to get involved in a project exploring a community buyout of Stromness Kirk. The Stromness Kirk Buyout Group has formed with the objective of trying to purchase the kirk so it can continue to be available for the local community, following news last year that it was at risk of closure by the Church of Scotland. Mm-hmm. That is a problem now with a lot of the churches. They're just mm-hmm. becoming
1: uneconomic, aren't they, and mm-hmm. they're selling them off here. Mm-hmm. Lerwick residents have described the treatment of clickerman brock by tourists is 100% not okay. A Facebook post on Shetland on camera shows people on top of the brock, which has signs warning people from climbing it. Residents have been split over the issue, with some describing it as dangerous, while others claim to have have done it over the years themselves. The author of the post, Georgie Coventry, said cruising visitors are oblivious to warning signs at the tourist attraction. However, Lurwick Community Council member Karen Fraser defended the actions of visitors. She said that unless things change, anyone can go up to the top via the stairs. So I'm not sure what you think they are doing wrong. <coughs> Others suggested people should check the Shetland rule before they get off their boat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a bit hard to do that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but talking about the boats, that was just in the papers <coughs> over the last week. They had three... Cruise ships ships all in at once. Well, you can imagine that.
0: Exactly. I
1: I said, Can you imagine three cruise ships in Littleton?
0: No, (laughs) can't. There'd be a few complaints, I think. There would be. Mm. Earlier this month, concerns were raised about a Russian tug potentially carrying out a military role, which has been seen sailing back and forth east of Shetland. The Nikolai Chika has repeatedly sailed past Unst and Saxevoord and down towards Fettler, before turning and heading back towards Unst. The ship attracted American attention in 2014, after moving similarly off the coast of Florida during preparations for a SpaceX rocket launch. MP Alastair Carmichael said there was reasonable suspicion that this tug was performing a military role for Russia. This behaviour is reminiscent of the Cold War and needs to be taken seriously. Even if only because of the deployment of the spaceport, Shetland is again going to be a strategically significant part of the UK. Of course, back in the Cold War days, the Royal Navy would send ships to shadow this sort of thing. We simply do not have the vessels to do it now. The Royal Navy has not responded to an approach for comment. Mm. You'd think Russia had enough on its hands
1: with Mm. the uh, war with Ukraine, wouldn't you? Exactly. Mm. Mm. Recently, Rob Flett and Sarah Brooks had a visit to Long Hope on Hoi. On one beautiful day, they were surprised by the hidden gem that is Osmond Wall, Cemetery in South Walls. They were completely ignorant about the Long Hope Lifeboat Memorial being there. It fittingly stands out amidst the graves of the farmers and sons who gave their lives so young in the service of others. It's incredibly poignant. Then the simple stone building with its crow-stepped gables turns out to be the Moody Family Mausoleum, a repository of up to 16 mummified corpses at one time. And now a treasure trove of remarkable stories about the Moody dynasty through the ages. The booklet that is reproduced there is short but colourful. It's all very underplayed on the sign of the nearby Kentuck Head car park. The Viking bench is an ancient but is modern and beautifully carved, retelling of the forced baptism of Earl Sigurd the Stout. Below the cemetery walls, there seems to be a broken headstone in pieces on the beach. Osmond Wall wasn't on their radar when they went for a walk around Cantik Head. That was a real highlight of their visit to Hoi. So if you visit Hoi, it sounds like an interesting place to visit. And the lifeboat they mention here um, was the Hoi lifeboat, and they went to um, the rescue of a boat that had um, grounded Great. on the rocks and they all lost their lives and oh, I think gosh. you know the next day they had a full um, number to, to fill you know to, for another lifeboat oh mm. heavens mm. I mean Hoy's not a very big no place and there's not many people on it but yes it was rather sad I felt because everyone on the boat that was um, that had done the SOS was
0: um, saved mm. and yet the lifeboat men were mm. all killed so mm. it's rather sad you yeah. Lerwick Town Hall flew the Union flag to mark the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla on the 6th of May. Convener of Shetland Islands Council, Andrea Manson, sent her congratulations to His Majesty on behalf of the people of Shetland. Ms. Manson said it was an important moment in their nation's history, and she was sure many in Shetland and further afield would celebrate the mm-hmm. joyous occasion. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Shetland and Orkney Connection, promoted by Plains FM 96.9. Yeah. Now, a
1: 42-year-old tingle man living with type 1 diabetes will be starting a new fitness regime next month, and all to raise money for diabetes. Maurice Jamieson, who works for the Shetland Times, is set to do 100 push-ups per day in June for Diabetes UK. Morris has lived with diabetes for 26 years, and because it came on so slowly, he didn't realise how ill he was until he started getting insulin at the hospital. The overwhelming thing before his diagnosis was the thirst, which he could not quench, and that is one of the uh, symptoms Mm. of it, yeah. And he's keen, and I don't think I could do (laughs) one
0: push-up a day, let alone 100. I'm sure you could hear yeah. you could start against a wall on tiptoes. It's oh. a bit easier than on the floor. Yeah, I might be able to manage that. Yes. yes. A photographic <laughs> exhibition that pays homage to the integral role women have played in the fishing industry opened in Lerwick this month at the Shetland Museum. The exhibition, which is called Fisher Women, is part of a national touring show and is the work of multi-award-winning social documentary photographer Craig Easton. It explores the work of women along the historic route of the old Herring Fleet, from Shetland to Great Yarmouth, and their work in the processing of the fishing fleet's catch. The show includes large-format photographic portraits and audio interviews of long-retired gutters from Shetland, alongside similar large-scale portraits of women working in the fish processing industry today Shetland was always the place where the herring fish season started that was an awful job being yes. a fish gutter oh Terrible. god Ugh.
1: Yes. Just the mind
0: boggles, and yet they did it they year did. after year, and you know they did mm. work out. And then moved on down the coast and ended at Great Yarmouth. Yeah, well, I had been Incredible. to Great
1: Yarmouth, and I've been to one of where they smoked them, the Great yes. Big Thing. You know, just covered in mm. greasy sort of sort. Oh, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But it was money, I suppose. That's uh, and great uh, camaraderie amongst mm. the women too. Yeah. A ban on commercial fishing for sand eels is being proposed to help save Scotland's seabirds. Sand eels are an important source for many seabird species, marine mammals and predatory fish. David Attenborough highlighted their decline when he warned of its impact on the charismatic puffins. He said sand eels were the puffins' favourite prey but were disappearing at an alarming rate. They are vulnerable to climate change and the impact of warming seas, and fishing puts them under additional pressure. Currently, commercial, f- commercial fishing for sand eels takes place entirely by European vessels, where they are then sold for animal feed.
0: Yes. And sure quite right. That, that's awful, isn't it? It mm. is. Mm. Now, this is from St Magnus, the Earl's Quarrel. The Ognyinga saga is not clear on the reason the cousins turned on each other. It simply states that men of evil disposition began stirring trouble between Hakon and Magnus. Harkon, says the saga, was jealous of Magnus's popularity and was therefore more disposed to listen to these miserable men. Whatever their motives the agitators succeeded in creating enmity between Magnus and Haakon, so much so that they drew up for battle at a thing, an assembly on the Orkney mainland. The site of this meeting has been suggested as being Tingwall, in the mainland parish of Rendal, but a battle was averted. Neutral parties managed to persuade the two earls to make peace. A further meeting was arranged to finalise this treaty, with the earls to meet on Eagle Sea at Easter, each bringing only two ships and an equal number of men. At the allotted time and with the agreed number of men, Magnus set out for Eagle Sea. Approaching the island in calm water, says the saga, a great wave rose and struck Magnus's ship. This, it recounts, was taken to be an omen of the Earl's death. No wonder that you are surprised by this, said Magnus to his men. Indeed, I take this as a foreboding of my death. Mm. Magnus was the first to arrive on Eagle Sea,
1: where he waited for the arrival of his cousin. When later that day eight warships came into view, it became clear that treachery was afoot. Harkon and his men landed on Eagle Sea the following morning. After first ransacking the church, Harkon sought out Magnus, who had gone to another part of the island to a certain hiding place. After a search, Magnus was found, captured, and brought before an assembly of local chieftains. There the saga stresses, Magnus was concerned only for the welfare of his deceitful cousin's immortal soul, Magnus made three suggestions that would save Harkon from breaking his oath by killing an unarmed man. The first was that Magnus would go on pilgrimage and never return to Orkney. That was rejected. As was the second, that Magnus be exiled to Scotland and imprisoned. The final suggestion was that Harkon should have me mutilated in any way you choose rather than take my life, or else blind me and lock me in a dungeon. Not a very pleasant <laughs> Dreadful. Harkon deemed this acceptable, but the assembly were not so keen. The chieftains leapt to their feet and announced the one, that one of the earls had to die. They had had their fill of joint rule in Orkney. Harkon smugly informed the dissenters that, as he preferred ruling and was not ready to die, Magnus should be slain. Magnus put forward no argument, so was doomed to death. Informing his followers they were not to die
0: defending him, Magnus stepped forward to accept his fate. With Magnus's fate sealed, Hakon ordered Ophig, his standard-bearer, to execute the earl, but the warrior refused angrily. Enraged, Hakon turned to his cook, Leifov, and instructed him to kill Magnus. According to the saga, Leifov wept loudly, but Magnus spoke comforting words and forgave him for the acts he must carry out. Be not afraid, for you do this against your will, and he who forces you sins more than you do. So Magnus knelt before Leifov and asked to be struck hard on the head, rather than beheaded like a criminal, a common criminal. Stand thou before me and hew on my head a great wound, for it is not seemly to behead chiefs like thieves. Take heart, poor wretch, for I have prayed to God for thee, that he be merciful unto thee. but gri- But gruesome, wasn't it? <laughs> struck the blow and cleaved the earl's skull in two. Charming. The Orkney Angus saga <clears throat> declares this act took place 1,091 winters after the birth of Christ, but this date does not tie in with documented events and is definitely incorrect. Magnus was killed many years later on the 16th of April in what was most likely 1118. Initially, Magnus was denied a Christian burial by Earl Harkin and simply buried where he fell. Mm. Yes, the Orkney Inga Saga was written
1: um, quite some time after after all these events. events. Yeah, Mm. So I do mean to get the book and read it myself. (laughs) Shortly afterwards, the miracles began. The Orkney Inga Saga recounts that the site of the Magnus murder was originally rocky and overgrown. But after his death, God showed that he had suffered for righteousness' sake and the area was miracu- miraculously transformed into a green field. Magnus's mother, Thora, plied with Harkon to allow her son a Christian burial. Harkon relented and allowed Magnus's corpse to be retrieved. It was transferred to Bercy, where it was interred at the Christ Church, the church Magnus's grandfather, Thorfinn Sir Goodson, had built. The exact location of the church remains uncertain today, although it is generally thought to have either been on the Broha Birsi or the site of the current St Magnus Kirk on the mainland of Bursi. Recent investigations seem to favour the latter. Wherever he was laid to rest, from the day of his burial, a bright heavenly light was said to have been seen above Magnus's grave. This holy light was accompanied by a heavenly fragrance, before long, as the cult of Magnus grew, other stories began to began to spread, each detailing the miraculous happenings around about the earl's gravesite. The Orkney Inga Saga recounts in great detail the numerous miraculous
0: healings that resulted from visits to the Magnus resting place. And now the Battle of Menai Straits. According to the Orkney Inga Saga, Magnus had a reputation for piety and gentleness, which the Norwegians viewed as cowardice. He refused to fight in a Viking raid at Anglesey, Wales, because of his religious convictions, and instead stayed on board the ship during the Battle of Menai Straits, singing psalms. His brother Erling died while campaigning with King Magnus, either at the same battle or in Ulster. Magnus was obliged to take refuge in Scotland, but returned to Orkney in 1105, and disputed the succession with his cousin Harkon. Having failed to reach an agreement, sought help from King Einstein I of Norway, who granted him the earldom of Orkney, and he ruled jointly and amicably with Harkon until 1114.
1: The saga written between the late 12th and early 13th centuries tells of the collapse of the cousin's shared earldom. Harkon turned against Magnus and eventually betrayed him and had him executed. The doomed earl's head was split in two by an axe, according to the saga. Miracles, I said, have happened where Magnus
0: was buried, including rocky ground changing into a grassy field. Centuries later, in 1919, A wooden box with a skull showing a wound and an assortment of bones inside was discovered during renovations to St Magnus Cathedral in Corkwell on Er Orkney. A University of Aberdeen professor and an Aberdeen church minister examined the bones and determined that they must be Magnus's remains. The relics were interred in a pillar of the cathedral. Understanding that the bones are permanently inside a pillar of the cathedral, thus inaccessible, I wondered whether there had ever been decent enough photographs taken of the remains that could be used to recreate a two-dimensional facial reconstruction. That,
1: that would be interesting it would if be they, nice, if they it? could do that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, here as promised last month is my email address, it's h e z a at extra.co.nz, and extra is spelt without an e. It's x t r a. The Shetland and Orkney Society is a group of people with connections or interests in the islands. We meet every couple of months for a catch-up. Anyone is welcome to join us. If you want more information, you can contact me. And the present presenters of this program are Helen, Jan, and Heather. Sometimes we have difficulty in pronouncing the Norse words. At the moment, we don't have anyone we can ask. I hope you will forgive us if our pronunciation is not the greatest. Well, it's that time now when we have come to the end of our programme. Take care
0: and cheerio. Keep warm until next time.